0: You're listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA stories, a podcast that celebrates the wisdom, courage, experience and joy of individuals in the queer community. Every week, we feature a guest who has a remarkable story to tell about their coming out and the life they've lived beyond. Now here's your host, Anne-Marie Zanzel.
1: Hi, this is Amory Zanzel. I am so excited to welcome Mistress Cass to Coming Out and Beyond today. Mrs. Mistress Cass is an intersectional, no, sectional. How do I say that, Mistress Cass?
2: <laughs> so I'm just playing off intersectional. I got that. Like, with the SEX, yeah. <laughs> intersex.
1: I can, like my C keeps coming out.
2: is an intersectional
1: educator, therapist, and scientist from San Antonio, Texas. She is queer polyamorous slut who aims to advocate for sex positive cultural practices in all settings. She works as a therapist for Respark Therapy Foundation and provides education trainings on various mental health relationship health, and sexual health topics to diverse individuals and healthcare professionals. Welcome, Mitch, Mistress Cass, to the show.
2: Hi, thanks. And Miss is fine, too. Like, you don't have to use Mistress with me. Okay. Even Cass is fine.
1: Okay, because I saw the Mistress Cass on your Zoom link here, and yes. so I'm like, okay, gotta call her that. Okay, Cass. <laughs> yeah, we could be more I mean, casual. It's okay. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on the show. I think you're our first person that has talked to talk about kink and polyamorous relationships. So really excited to have this conversation. So tell me your story.
2: Yeah. So and yeah, I use the intersectional uh, lens and, and username stuff and everything because like, that's my story in essence. Um, I grew up uh, Long Island, New York, Uh, to, um, a single mom. My parents never even like had much of a serious relationship even. Um, and it was a very intersectional life growing up there. Uh, you know, I had a Puerto Rican grandmother who was very Catholic. I had a very, um, rebellious mother who was also very like a workaholic too, at the same time, uh, who taught me that side. Like I, my father had like a lot of addiction issues and, um, mental health issues, but I saw such a diversity of different things. Uh, Mm -hmm. And my mother definitely instilled in me this whole, like, be unique and be you, even if you have to fight people about it, including me. (laughs) Um, And that kind of brought me up with this, like, okay, I can be whatever I am. And then I moved to Richmond, Virginia. The West End, uh, near Short Pump, which is a very like we called it Stepford, um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily in a complimentary way. And well, is there a complimentary way to call something? Stepford? Yeah. Well, I, I guess some people <laughs> might like the pembification stuff. <laughs> yeah. I. It was not the right fit for us uh, that part of the world, and and I was at 14 going into high school, um, and I didn't like a lot of what I saw. Uh, and I, but I still was like fighting everything because I was like I was student leader of everything, uh, like the GSA in our school, the you know ecology club, medical club, choir, marching band, color guard, drumline, all these different things I did. Um, and because my student body was fantastic, my student body there was no like I I didn't see as much like clicky or negative things or bullying in my high school setting, unless it was staff.
0: Or teachers
2: or admin, uh, the student body was great. Um, the adults that's connected to it not so much. Um, and and I realized that like I I wanted to keep serving next generations. I wanted to keep serving like yes my generation, um, but like lay the foundation for the fact that I saw this student body that was like even though it was Richmond Virginia like kind of conservative very white part of it. Um, They were precious people, (laughs) even the jobs. Um, And so I kind of like saw that and took that to heart. Um, But I went down more of the epidemiology route professionally first. Why Um, is that? I I saw a documentary, maybe freshman biology uh, in high school Mm -hmm. on like an Ebola outbreak. Um, Ooh, so cool. Yeah, (laughs) well, I was always a scientist person. That was always a thing um since very very young um my so oldest I, daughter is a lay expert on the black plague so i understand <laughs> yeah it was definitely a hyper fixation <laughs> um, and and, a, and i go through like i still have that part of me i'm still a public health uh scientist at my soul though i might use more the label of systems scientist nowadays um, and so you know i found a school i could do a public health undergrad program at in Virginia, um, Mary Baldwin, and it was a woman's college. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I got to, you know, experience more of a liberal leaning women's college at the time. It's not a woman's college anymore. Now it's co-ed and, you know, it's been a great transition seeing some of the women's colleges transition to co-ed. Uh, I think Mary Baldwin has done it well. Um, but now there's like, you know, i saw all these parts of Virginia and like conservative culture and all these different things. And I got even more invested in public health. <laughs> and like, mm-hmm. I, I viewed STI epidemiology, infectious disease epidemiology as my way to like help with that at first. Um,
1: is Mary, where is Mary Baldwin in Virginia?
2: It is in the mountains in the Shenandoah Valley. So the okay. standing is the town. It's
1: very conservative area yeah. uh, of Virginia. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Um, but there's,
1: Christians area of Virginia. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And a lot of meth too. <laughs> and, well,
1: that's bet that's any, you know, rural area, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately.
2: Um, but yeah, you know, I got to like see more rural culture. I got to see more um like, again, more diversity in different ways. Like, I actually wasn't used to, like, white people, even though I'm very white myself. It's, You're very light-skinned, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like a white passing, because I am Puerto Rican. Um, <laughs> you know, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, well, a lot
1: of people in Puerto Rico come from European backgrounds, so exactly. I bet your ancestors were most likely from Europe. that reminds yeah. me of because I've had, I'm in my old hospice days, I had, Puerto Rican people that look just like you, (laughs) some like the from European (laughs) ancestry.
2: Yep, yep. Well, and and it all these different like things definitely were like so many people viewed it as discordant to have all these different lenses and cultures and everything like within one person, um, and to be like working with different ones that are not my own culture, too, like with rural health, I did for a while, um, and. I I love it. I love intersectional cultural stuff. Um, even mm-hmm. if I, it's not my culture, I think it's just, you know, culture is a beautiful expression of just humanity, I think.
1: cats, um, yes, I know what intersection means, um, but I don't know if all of our listeners do. Mm-hmm. So can you talk a little bit about what intersectionality means?
2: So intersectionality is kind of think about the intersections of a street, you know, you have multiple aspects of your identity, multiple aspects of who you are. Um, And you might have like 20 intersections. It might look like a spaghetti bowl highway, like intersection. (laughs) Um, And you might have only two. Mm -hmm. And, but intersectionality is looking at these different identities that we have and how they all interact with each other um, and how they create like, a larger person. Um, you know, it I love it because it kind of gets away from this uh, more binary world um and and kind of recognizes that we 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 all have so many things about us usually mm-hmm. uh, that create us and and allow us to interact with the world in different ways.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> no problem. So you're in rural Virginia, and so where do you go next?
2: So See? rural Virginia, um I, you know, then my mother kept following her career uh, mm-hmm. that had brought us to Virginia in the first place. And then she followed it to Dallas, Texas uh, mm-hmm. when I was in between my junior and senior year of undergrad. Um, and so by the time I was graduating undergrad, she had lived there a year and that made me an in-state uh, resident technically since I was at college. Like, yeah, you're still a minor. Yeah, <laughs> in, in, according to that. Yeah um and so when i graduated my undergrad i knew i needed to like i wanted to do science epidemiology i didn't just want to do like um more more like on the ground public health i wanted to do more mm-hmm. high science so mm-hmm. i knew i needed to go for a masters of public health and epidemiology um and so i applied to like what had been my dream school of tulane uh but and then i applied to a couple programs in texas because of the in state tuition thing uh, and when it came down to it, like Texas A&M Health Science Center and College Station um, is an amazing, amazing program. It felt smaller and less competition-based and it was a lot more cheap than Tulane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely if you have the in-state tuition. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to College Station.
1: You, More must, world. Have
2: been,
1: you <laughs> must have been such an expert when the last uh, the last epi- epidemic we've had. You must have been like such an expert. I mean, you you must have, your friends must have loved you and hated
2: you all at the same time. <laughs> well, I, oh, I get to the point where of like I've been an epidemiologist in the health department of Texas for uh, I think I worked for them for about six or seven years overall, um, and I quit working as an epidemiologist 6 months before covid happened.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Cuz I was in school for the counseling by that point. I was I was going now back for another masters for clinical mental health counseling um and I got to the point where I was like okay I'm ready to do this full time and quit my full time job and focus on counseling now. And the timing was great. I loved it. Like I I, I I'm not sure I would have been well suited like Capable of handling the stress of what an infectious disease epidemiologist and
1: also also the challenging behavior of many residents and lawmakers within the state and federal governments. (laughs) And let's leave it at that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean that would have driven me insane if I was a professional person doing that type of job. So I'm I'm really glad. (laughs) like the the time the worked. worked yeah the universe worked so you go back to be so curious why did you go back into why did you decide to go back into mental health counseling
2: mostly because i thought if i'm following my public health heart um mm-hmm. and like part of that is also you know being raised so sex positive um and so uh true like authentically um mm-hmm being in public health, uh, especially I was more in the like tuberculosis realms, Mm -hmm. I got to really see the struggles of marginalized populations and the sick. Mm -hmm. Um, Because not all tuberculosis is like a marginalized population. A lot of it's white uh, in this country and and very like who you wouldn't think. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, I saw these people yeah they're struggling with an infectious disease and like the medical side of that and all that but what i saw ignored most during their treatment was their mental health needs and general wellness needs i understand and and also i'm good at spreadsheets i'm good at epidemiology but like i i wanted to be talking to people more i wanted to be connecting Mm-hmm. I was a little stuffed behind a screen and a spreadsheet, like all the time anyway. Like I still like doing that as like a hobby, but
1: <laughs> so I've known you for 23 minutes and I can't imagine you behind a... <laughs> yeah. on a computer and doing a spreadsheet. I honestly like, Oh, this is not a spreadsheet kind of girl.
2: <laughs> I find data fascinating. I love data, but data informs me not, it's not where I live anymore.
3: <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So 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 I, I'm going to assume you work with younger people because you said you've always wanted to, like you realized in high school that you wanted to work with the next generations, of course your own, but it sounds like is much of your practice with younger people?
2: Not currently. So, okay. you know, and that's partly a protective measure. Um, I, I work with adults, young adults, like, you know, a lot of people in their 20s and 30s, usually, mm-hmm. um, is where I tend to end up working with people. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of like the 180, not 180, even of like just sex education in Texas and mm-hmm. how troublesome giving basic sexual education to a kid is and like not even if I was in the counseling room with the kid more just like if I was an educator a parent hired to like do Mm -hmm. something there would be lots of problems um, Mm -hmm. from other people's perspective Mm -hmm.
3: um
2: and it's a self-protective measure not to really work with kids right now um and maybe if I move to a different state or things change or if I don't maybe do counseling maybe i'll open up to like doing more like education for Mm -hmm. kids at some point but um right now i i work with adults and i and i do a lot of like um helping the next generation of polyam and kinksters be consensual and be healthy and happy um in their 20s (laughs) so do do
1: your clients seek you out because of your knowledge of polyamory and kink or some of them okay Mm
2: -hmm. some of them just want a like i i am a sex therapist and specialty so some of them come for just sexual trauma reasons sexual disorders or couples that just want like a more sex positive approach um in their regular couples therapy (laughs)
1: um i'm gonna i i mean this we're gonna just go veer off just that's okay um so so many times in older like in like I'm in some groups of women that are like 50 plus and stuff like that and they're mixed you know gay straight you know they're more like they're just like that and so many of the women are like you know my sex life with my husband is terrible I you know we've gone you know we've gone to this and that and it's always the woman's fault Mm
3: -hmm.
1: always the woman's fault So like, you know, I don't, I like, have you ever considered maybe you're not straight? (laughs) (laughs) Which is very, very- For some people that's true. Yeah, for some people that's true. Why, when people are, maybe I'm just naive. When people are really struggling to connect with an opposite gender partner when they identify as female or male, or like to have real pleasurable sex with them. Why doesn't ever anybody ever suggest? <laughs> you know, maybe you're not straight, like in a, I'm just curious, like, why isn't that like, why isn't it like, we got to fix this, we got to fix that, we got to fix this. Um, like, why don't people suggest anything like that?
2: So, you know, we might be getting more and more people that will suggest it, I think nowadays. Um, And but it's usually not going to be the clinic like the mental health clinician they're seeing usually we might um if we feel the client is like they've expressed some things that are like green Mm -hmm. flags for that (laughs) like um we might be like we might explore topics in that realm Mm -hmm. that allow them to come to that saying that Mm -hmm. themselves in therapy right um because my unless a client says like i wonder do you like if a client asked me like do you think i could possibly be like whatever gay or straight or whatever i and i will answer honestly yeah. <laughs> i'm not the therapist that's going to be like i'm talking about
1: the sex therapist though
2: yeah
1: well not and really, i'm not talking about i mean like a so a, a the horror stories i've heard in the queer community around um around therapy has been it's unbelievable yeah,
2: it, it, there's a lot of bullshit out there
1: yeah and so I'm really talking about your average sex therapist <laughs> like why is it like it's like like to me it seems so obvious just to make that suggestion or so maybe again naive
2: Like we have like I'll talk a little more specifically about like someone who maybe comes in sick with a self-diagnosis of sex addiction for example right. okay uh that's I belong to an alliance uh, that is within ASECT, which is one of more national organizations on sexual health and wellness from a sex positive lens. Um, My alliance is very much more about the fact that sex addiction is not a valid scientific diagnosis. um, And it is not a, like, sex doesn't match up with the addiction model. Um, and the addiction model isn't like great in the first place, <laughs> and so we we are open to the fact that like, oh, you say you're a sex addict. What does you're
3: that? You're
2: just hooking up with the same gender. Have you ever thought? Of <laughs> Have yeah. you like? Then, in our lens, we are more likely to bring that up because a lot of the sex addiction models are kind of homophobic, um, and and there's even some of them that say like. The only valid sex is in a heterosexual legal marriage um so we go away from that we we, we if there okay. you know like s- sex addiction is you know sometimes we'll call it just this like um compulsion kind of thing or it can be you know, anxiety it could be ocd there's usually another reason <laughs> not not that it's a classical addiction mm-hmm. So tell me about polyamory.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do
2: you practice polyamory? I do. I do. Um, I am one of those lifelong orientation polyamory people. Um, Mm -hmm. That's not everyone who's poly, but for Mm -hmm. me that is. (laughs) What does that mean, orientation polyamory? So I, you know, I'm, I'm not the type of person who would say polyamory is the same thing as like sexual orientation. I call it a relationship orientation. Um, And there's different relationship orientations out there besides polyamory and monogamy. Um, There's many. And, but in general, orientation is part of who you are. Like you, you, you can't like consciously change it. Mm -hmm. Um, We change over time sometimes. Yes, that happens. People are different from, you know, who they were at 10 to 40. (laughs) But orientation is more just, it's a big part of you. It's a big part of your identity. um, Mm -hmm. And it's not something I could just like do without. (laughs)
1: Okay, so you've been always oriented towards polyamory. and uh, So first of all, give us a definition of polyamory.
2: Polyamory is a form of consensual non-monogamy that values love and deep connection relationships. you know we we tend to be sex positive and like maybe we slut it up um but it's not about the sex usually anyway <laughs> it's more about you know the the connection of love Um, uh, cuz polyamory is like a mishmash of the greek and latin of you know many loves um and and so you know you you could, you could be asexual and be poly too so like it's not always about sex
1: <laughs> okay so you're okay so more what I'm hearing you say is more about the romantic relationship yep for the most part for the you most know, part yeah but there are some people that it may be other you know it may just be about the sex and stuff like that
2: or it could be really deep platonic relationships too like you know, okay. the old-fashioned Boston marriage kind of thing <laughs> actually we have I, a yeah Boston I know the history
1: <laughs> a Boston marriage on our street believe it or not um, <laughs> Or they claim they are. Um, so
3: mm-hmm.
1: when somebody, first of all, I have to ask it, ask this question because it's not leaving my brain. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by slut when slut. you say that?
2: Um, I find my power in hoeing it up sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. I find my power in my sensual sexual nature. It's not always sexual. Sometimes it's sexual too. Um, is your slutness for
1: lack of a word, <laughs> right, is that separate from your polyamory relationships or people in relationships obviously know this about you and are,
2: are like, they're like,
1: okay with that.
2: Yeah. So I may, you know, be more of a slut in a physical sense at times, but I'm also just like a slut of the heart and mm-hmm. the brain like I love passionate energy in general like that's kind of why I use slut so freely for myself too like I'm well, I passionate. but it also is
1: like a reclamation of a word that has been used like slut shaming yeah you know? I'm all about
2: bashing stigma of yeah your, like,
1: I love that's why I love you using that <laughs> word I'm
2: like, well what does it mean for you <laughs> yeah no. for me it is a powerful word uh, it's not for everyone Um, Mm -hmm. and there are words that I don't find powerful for me that are more powerful for my best friend and that's Mm -hmm. okay for them to find the power in that word and me not Mm -hmm. Um, but I like it because like I am just so passionate about relationships in general not just the sex physical side Mm -hmm. Um, and like yeah nowadays I do tend to prefer deeper relationships, serious relationships, long-term relationships with my sex. I'm not as casual as I once was, Um, but that doesn't stop me from like a new person at the house party I go to all the time. Mm -hmm. Okay, have fun. (laughs) Like, And my partners and I negotiate that, talk about that, Mm -hmm. discuss that, the risks that might happen, the rewards that might happen, all that kind of stuff. Most of the time beforehand.
1: (laughs) Yeah. because you don't know who you're going to meet at a party, but.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We have that allowance. <laughs> so
1: talk to me about. So what I, it's really interesting because I just had this thought like. Mm-hmm. Somebody who is in, like you said, like orientation. And I've never really thought about it that way before. um, Like. If you met somebody who was falling in love with you, but they wanted to be in a monogamous relationship with you, that would be a no, correct? That would be a no.
2: Big no. Um, It's just not how you're built. Yeah, no. Uh, They could be monogamous. Like, poly-mono relationships are a thing that exists in a healthy way. Um, But I could never not be poly. Uh, That just wouldn't work.
1: I would be really curious about a, how a polymonogamous relation. I'm I'm curious how would that work? because whew, I just can't imagine. I just I like I'm very monogamous so that it's just not who I am. Yeah, but yeah, but like how does that work? you know, I mean, like like how how like I guess this I guess this would be like, you know, how does a polyamorous relationship? work I think that's probably a better question like how does it work how do you have these real I'm sure really challenging conversations because we're all human and mm-hmm. I mean I think the biggest thing for me why it wouldn't work is the jealousy factor
2: <laughs> I mean, that's fair yeah yeah like, and yeah. so polyamory can work in a variety of different ways okay you know and you know every every different unique person has a different style Mm-hmm. Um, and and then when you start adding in all these different styles uh, into one like large relationship or small community that's very enmeshed or whatever, you tend to get like we're all going to be different, and and you have to kind of extend some grace to people that like and educate yourself on possibilities of risks, possibilities of rewards, all these different things. Do the homework about like communication. Mm-hmm. and feeling comfortable, like being an autonomous, willful individual with your feelings. Um, mm-hmm. But not so much that like you're suppressing someone else's feelings at the same time.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and it, it, it's hard, it is, but the, a lot of these, the skills you have to learn for polyamory, like lifestyle stuff is, they would be helpful for a lot of mono people too. <laughs> Absolutely. So what are the risks and rewards? So- a lot of people think of the the risks first. I was like, yeah, we always do, but I'm gonna start with the rewards first. <laughs> kind of flip that a little bit. For me anyway, the rewards are deeper, more authentic love. Uh, even in the one-on-one dyads relationships <laughs> because I don't have to like suppress an attraction. Even if it's a mono relationship, like just expressing attraction or fantasies is sometimes taboo in a mono relationship. Um, and so, like the fact that I don't have to suppress that, I can be fully authentic in my passionate self. Um, and with them too, uh, like a lot of the time, you know the 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 issues that come up in mono relationships is the assumptions we have about our relationships. Um, like the, the, the passive assumptions that we haven't discussed with our other partners and everything. And you know the difficulty is you're gonna run into those assumptions in, in polyamory. You're like, you're gonna run into them face first, and break your nose. <laughs> if you don't do the homework first and discuss these things like in depth, um, that it will be a little bit of a shocker on you. Um, when you do run into these different risks of like, emotional like hard things because we're not like raised in our society to be
1: polyamorous yeah
2: well and just be emotional and let that be like a healthy thing to like be authentic and vulnerable and stuff with people Mm -hmm. um in a responsible way (laughs) like that's not normalized in our society in general um and so that's the hardest risk is like facing that like it how that Mm -hmm the vulnerability and, and, in, in saying
1: what you want and what you need, and also listening to somebody what they want and what they
2: need. Yeah. And of course there's like STI risks too. There's, you know, pregnancy there there's, you know, just drama risk too. Like that's all a possibility of course. But for me, the, like the one I prefer to talk to people about is like, this could be really uncomfortable. And it doesn't like, If it is uncomfortable, for some people, that's reason to step away and it's not right for them. Mm -hmm. But that's not always like, sometimes a little discomfort is where the magic happens kind of thing. (laughs) So what are the rewards? The rewards, like beyond that like deep connection that like I feel safe and powerful in vulnerability and authenticity. And so that's like a big reward for me. You know, other rewards are like, you have a lot of play a lot of the time. You have a lot of play in your life and pleasure in your life um mm-hmm. not just like heart wise like you know mm-hmm. hobby partners all the orgasms mm-hmm. <laughs> like all these different things those are definitely rewards um and another big one is the community mm-hmm. um like you 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 can get positive supportive community in a lot of different ways and it doesn't have to be like polyamory specific um you, you know, it might be a running group or a burning Burner group, <laughs> they're very poly heavy. Um, those communities, like, it brings back this old tradition of like takes a village kind of thing. Um, and yeah, absolutely. And that's a big reward. <laughs> so,
1: so polyamory isn't awesome. I mean, it doesn't mean that the three or four people are all in relationships. It, there may be various relationship patterns within the, the relationship of three or four. What's the difference between open marriage and polyam? Yeah, because so-
2: I've always defined open marriage as like, I'll let you define it, go ahead. Yeah. So like it is for any label, people might define this differently, but usually I see open marriage is more monogamish, like an open marriage is more, um, You may have a sexual relationship, maybe even a deep platonic relationship outside of your marriage, but the marriage comes first and they can't, you know, have certain like relationship status things. And there's a, there's a lot more hierarchy to it.
1: And also too, I would assume that if the relationship comes first, there's a lot of permission given versus this is border boundaries yeah. yeah yeah so you keep talking about homework what do you what's the homework okay before, <laughs> before cast came on i was talking to her about later in life my later in life women that i work with that a lot of times they go and when they're starting to explore this like their sexuality they would they go into open marriages which pretty much sign sounds how you defined it mm-hmm. or sometimes they define it as polyamory although there's a lot of confusion like because basically they're having a relationship with a woman, and
2: there's no other, you know. So to me, it's minimizing the 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 women loving women relationship. Honestly, oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that's what I say on the podcast. <laughs> uh, no, dating woman's not a threat at all. Yeah, <laughs> <I know. laughs> <laughs> people,
1: because I always say that. Because like when you tell your wife, if your wife is, thinks she may be a lesbian, and you tell her to go explore, and she has really, she ain't coming back, dude. I'm telling you, she's not. <laughs> So anyway, um, I'm, so uh, I was saying that um, there's a lot of confusion about that. Mm -hmm. So, but let's say like a couple is really thinking about doing this. Um, What's the homework?
2: So the homework is really like getting in touch with those assumptions I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like you don't have to run into doing the activities, the behaviors of poly right away. You can you can start exploring the concepts of it by you know, reading the books that are popular in the community. There's podcasts too, you go get therapy from a polyam uh, or CNM kind of person, therapist. Um, but it's more about facing the already established assumptions in your relationship um, about romance and sex and pleasure and all these different things. Um, power, even. and getting in touch with that stuff in your life. Mm-hmm. because if you don't get in touch with that stuff in your life before you start, <laughs> it's gonna blow up. yeah, and yeah. some of and and the idea of like, I might be a lesbian, okay, go go date women outside of our marriage isn't inherently a bad idea, but the problem is, the men usually have a one penis policy, which is a red flag in polyamory. Um, We like, if someone has a one penis policy, that like means they're minimizing women loving women relationships. And um, it's usually like an insecurity red flag too. Um, What do you mean one penis policy? I don't understand. So one penis policy is the the straight passing marriage uh, where the guy says the woman can date, but can only be with and have sex with him one penis
1: (laughs) well what's really yeah I always say that I I've I've said for such a long time with the women I work with you know based their husband and I've been that woman so Mm -hmm. um, their husband gives them permission to go out and explore um, and I say well the thing with that (laughs) is that inherently that is um, pretty misogynistic and patriarchal because they would never tell their wife if their wife was thinking, "Hey, I think I want to go
0: see you other know,
1: men." See other men, they would be like, "Don't go." That would be an absolute deal breaker. But we do not value women in our society, so when a woman goes out and has sex with another woman, it is seen as less than. Yeah. And kind very of bullshit. True. Yeah, it is bullshit. And so so in my experience in the later in life community, I find that people who come from monogamous marriages, I often see it in the framework of grief and I see it as bargaining mm-hmm. um, because they're trying to keep something afloat that oftentimes because of the partner's sexual orientation and a need for a like- Outlet. Yeah, and, and also too, a lot of people, like in the beginning when I came out, like it wasn't about sex for me. Like, yes, sex was a byproduct and it was amazing and the best sex I ever had in my life. But it was more about having a relationship with somebody.
3: Mm-hmm. you know, and
1: having in an, a uh, like, like in a romantic relationship. And in fact, when I was with my ex-husband, he used to say to me, he would say to me, Amory, if you want that, you need to be with a woman. I can't give that to you. Um, and, and the thing is, is that I find that, um, a lot of times, especially in the beginning, people really like, even the women coming out, minimum, they think it's just about sex and, yeah. and it's not. You know, mm-hmm. and it's not. And and so what I found is that a lot of times people like, I find that typically when people come from a monogamous marriage, it is very difficult to move in to either an open marriage scenario
3: mm-hmm.
1: or a polyamorous scenario. I find, I have found maybe like this, no scientific data behind this, but just my own experience Probably ten percent of all those relationships work. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that as well in your own work, or would you would you say, yeah, that sounds about right?
2: <laughs> so, I think it's getting better.
1: Okay,
2: maybe, maybe maybe like that is maybe accurate for the population you're working with. I think it's that that percentage is probably going like the success rate is going up, um, mostly because more men are doing the homework nowadays i think like i yeah. see way more straight passing cis men in heterosexual marriages doing the homework of like facing their emotions and being deeper um when their women's express this desire that they can make the polyam work and they avoid they try anyway <laughs> to avoid the misogynistic pitfalls of it um, it's still hard to men make that transition it's really hard uh Mm -hmm. it's not impossible um Mm -hmm. you know a lot of the time though this is the first time these these straight passing men have been faced with like different assumptions about sex and romance and connections Mm -hmm. and it that's not it's not necessarily the sex that's the issue like you said earlier it's it's that
1: (laughs) yeah um I, I know a lot of queer men have polyamorous relationships. Um, mm-hmm. It's not as common in the queer women community, but there are, like, yeah. you know, the most famous is Martha Beck right now. Um, any different advice for people in queer relationships that are seeing, you know, like either, uh, you know, an all lesbian relationship, all gay relationship, mm-hmm. maybe- you know, you know maybe trans there may be a trans person within that that relationship. How would you know, is there any is there a different advice for them than the like straight passing <laughs> relationships? That...
2: Yeah. Uh, well there, the the advice is maybe just a little more about safety. Um, and not even from like an STI angle like the straight people tend to not get as much STI testing honestly than our queer population. Mm-hmm. So like that might be a little lower nowadays especially in certain circles that are more sex positive and get the testing done. Um it's the safety risk of like the violence out there um and 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 your families like they might have been okay with like the queer coming out stuff but not necessarily like oh, yeah. mm-hmm. um And it seems weird to me sometimes that like, you were okay with that, but not, huh? (laughs) Um, But it happens and there's a lot of bullshit going on in the world. Um, So there is that like complication, that intersectionality there that like, that makes it a little more uh, problematic for some people to actively engage with their polyamory uh, if they are queer. So you are
1: fascinating you Thank have you. a lot of information we're going to have to do it part two with the kink because we are now on 12 we're at like 45 minutes and okay. I like to go longer than that but I, I would love to invite cat back to come to talk about um uh, uh to talk about kink <laughs> <laughs> and 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 if they if cast if, if anybody has any questions or um or you know wants to seek out your
2: guidance how do they find you so I am mistress.casts on IG Instagram. Um yeah, I am intersectional with the X instead of the C um, on YouTube. Uh I my email is boldlycassandra And you know, I I'm also out with my um my maiden name, which is for counseling and everything, which is Cassandra Marina Jones um as well. So you can find me under all those. <laughs> So,
1: did you have a? Did you ever come out?
2: <laughs> I like that you phrase it like that. Uh,
1: not really. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. But yeah. did you have a song during that time period of your life when you were exploring those things that really, really stuck with you? <laughs> uh,
2: so, like, I I am a mo- like a millennial kind of solidly, and so I definitely, of course, growing up in New York, like. Born this way was the whole thing at that time they Mm -hmm. like right around that time um though like i was trying to think about like which ones were more but like it wasn't necessarily like a coming out anthem kind of thing it was just like made me feel feels (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, but like nowadays like i i really have like embraced that passionate slut thing and so now Mm -hmm. like my coming out song anthem kind of thing is strut
1: (laughs) that
2: right yeah (laughs) Um, a book
1: or movie that really changed your perspective on things
2: her uh herman hesse's siddhartha um is it's a nice short book and it's not the true story necessarily of the buddha Mm -hmm. um but it is a look at the different walking the different paths of life and how they all interacted to help this man achieve enlightenment it wasn't just being a monk or whatever it was being a slut for a while being a merchant for a while all these different things um and i think that that was such a valuable perspective to for me to see that like all our aspects bring us closer to health happiness enlightenment whatever your goal is
1: (laughs) yeah um You know, just quickly as an aside, if somebody's listening to this and like they're like, hmm, this polyamory sounds really interesting or the way Cass describes herself, that sounds like me, you know, Mm -hmm. it's my orientation.
2: Where's a good first book to start? First book? So if you are more sex positive, I would go for Ethical Slut um that's a great I know that book book. (laughs) it's a great book even if you're not polyamorous and you just want to like understand sex positive culture and polyamory great book uh another resource though that's like more current um and does active stuff new stuff every like day is multi-amory they do some good stuff too and that's more of a podcast youtube it's a
1: podcast okay yeah great um how do you describe your life now with where you are
2: um my I use I do use the intersectional label like that is definitely something I I try to do like it's that multiculturalism Mm -hmm. but for me personally it is I've gotten to a point of synthesis I think in who I am like looking at all my different identities and understanding that they they're not in conflict because they're all part of who I am um Mm -hmm. that Has allowed me to have a lot more power and purpose-driven power. Like that's where the power comes from is feeling that purpose-driven. Um, and because now I'm able to like work in sex therapy and everything now, it's like, I'm fulfilling that, like that inner power I had and now I can express it a little more. (laughs) It's really been nice.
1: Well, mistress cat. I keep calling you Kat. It's Cass. My apologies. Mrs. Mistress Cass. It's so nice to talk to you today. I'm going to definitely do a part two. Um, Mm A lot of times people are super interested in kink, but they're too embarrassed to ask. So we will give them the info (laughs) info that they need. Thank Mm -hmm. you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to Coming Out and Beyond, LGBTQIA stories with Anne-Marie Zanzel. New episodes of the Coming Out and Beyond podcast drop every other Friday. You can tune in at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and at annemariezanzel.com. Be sure to hit subscribe when tuning in so you never miss an episode. And for more resources, articles, videos, and a free downloadable guide for coming out later in life, visit annemariezanzell.com.